Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Recently, my uh, wife got a new cell phone, and, ooh, who said that? Oh, nice. Thanks, Eric. All right. (laughs) Man, good. So, um, so I took her old cell phone because her her other cell phone was had a nicer screen and higher definition than mine had, and I kind of liked it. So I uh, I inherited her old her old cell phone, put my SIM card in there, and transferred everything. Now, the new cell phone I have, uh, this one here, um, it says blue on back. That's the brand name, but that's not the color, obviously, and. Um, so I had this new cell phone. So in uh, Bible instruction class with the young people two weeks ago, uh, one of my uh, dear friends, the young lady in there, Mrs. Fowler, um, sort of noticed my phone and suggested maybe a more appropriate color might uh, work for me. And, uh, and then on Wednesday night, uh, Brian Weber in uh, Save the Day Cafe, just sitting in my pocket, kind of sticking out, he says, oh, did you get your granddaughter's cell phone? <laughs> And then, unbeknownst to him, two weeks previous, my granddaughter, who's eight, Sadie's eight years old, uh, looked over at my wife and said, uh, Grandma, why has Papa got a pink cell phone? <laughs> well, in the meantime, I had ordered a new uh, cover for my cell phone, and, uh, and I had a cover for my cell phone. So the only thing is, it's really bulky. I liked it better... All right, who's calling me? No, okay. <laughs> All right. Keith, all right. <laughs> all right, I don't know what you did, Keith, but you just made my phone go all the way off. Look at that. See? That's what happens when a lawyer calls you. You know, you just, everything just shuts down. <laughs> so anyway... So in uh, class the other night, and so the next week in uh, Bible instruction class, a fashion expert, no, no, no less important than Colin Lowen. I don't know if Colin's here or not, but uh, Colin Lowen said, hey, I think that's something along the fact that's really cool. I think that's pretty, uh, what he really meant was that's really hip, pink telephone, right? So you be the judge, all right? So if you see me wearing a pink telephone or stick on my pocket, um, I'm in my hip mood, and uh, if, it's, if it's in the dark cover, then uh, you know Keith is trying to call me, and I'm trying to, <laughs> okay, there he is, blue, goodbye, thanks Keith, whatever you did to my phone. <laughs> Either way, in the cover or out, um, really doesn't matter, because it doesn't really affect the essential importance of this phone. The only thing that matters is what? That it works, that I can receive calls, I can make calls, I can even uh, text. I'm not quite as, you know, um, you guys that can text like this. You know, when you're my age, you text like this, you know, <laughs> but it still works. And um, it's, it, there's an essential feature of this phone, and that is that it works and it makes calls. amazing thing is, for some of you that are my age, 
um, un- unbelievable that that little cell phone has more speed and, and more computing power than the computers that sent people in space, right? When we were their age, unbelievable. That, but that's the way it is. The essential thing is that it works. The essential thing about God's word is that it works. The essential thing about teaching God's word, as Rick is doing with you guys this, this weekend and as we do when we gather is that it is God's word, not our word, and the essential feature of it is it's true and it does work. Amen? And this morning, as we go to Hebrews chapter 7, as we continue our series through Hebrews, it just kind of occurred to me, my opinion, you know, it's just my opinion, but as we've been studying Hebrews together, and there's a, there's a verse in this chapter that, you know, when all is said and done, this is essential. This really is the heart and soul of the story of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. But before we read it, let's, let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your words might be heard. It's an awesome responsibility and privilege to just share in your word. And we pray as we do so that our hearts will be open to your words this morning. Uh, clear our hearts and minds just for these few moments as we continue to worship you as we have in song this morning in scripture as we look into your word. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to the sort of the end of the chapter, almost the end, and then we're going to come back and work backwards uh, to this to, to see why this is so important. But look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore, he, that is Jesus Christ, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus Christ is able to save completely. And the idea there, as we're going to see this morning, is the idea of forever. Good, it's done, it's essential, completely. And Jesus Christ is able to save completely those, anybody, young or old, anybody who comes to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them who come to God through him. How did the author of this Epistle, the Epistle of Hebrews, written to the Hebrew believers. That's why it's called the Epistle to the Hebrews. These are Jewish, primarily Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. That's why it's called that. Why does he say this? What's so important? What leads up to this? And so we're going to go backwards now to the beginning of this chapter and move toward this very essential, essential truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his ability to save forever and completely those who come to God through him. Another little clue in this, if you go back to verse 4, it's kind of interesting. I'm reading from the NIV translation here. And the author says, just think, just think. And in, in the literal Greek translation, what you probably would say is, watch. You know, we say this, watch this now. Watch this now, and maybe, maybe I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to you. I'm not really asking you to watch anything, but I'm just asking for your attention. Saying, oh, listen, I'll watch this, and I say something. This is what he really says here. He says, watch this. The author says, look at, this is so important. 
Watch this. Watch this in verse 4. So here's what he's asking you to watch. Go back to verse 1. This Melchizedek, who we introduced at the very end of chapter 6, this Melchizedek was king of Salem, and we'll, we'll come back and I'll explain this, and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, and it means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, you can follow your footnotes and go back in the Old Testament to Genesis, and the story is, Abraham goes out to rescue his nephew Lot. He gathers a, uh, his, his um, personal army, if you will, as a Bedouin chief, and takes his army, and he goes and he rescues Lot, who's been captured, and all that's with him. And he brings him back. And as he's coming back, it says this, this priest of the king of Salem came out to meet him, and he was the priest of the Most High God. This king of Salem was the priest of the Most High God. His name was Melchizedek. He just sort of walks out of the pages of the Old Testament. He shows up, and he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tithe, a 10% tithe of everything that he has received, the spoils of war and all that he has, and he presents a tenth of it, like we've taken our offerings this morning, and we and oftentimes refer to it as our tithes and offerings. And he gives this tenth, 10%, to Melchizedek. Melchizedek then disappears from the, the pages of the Old Testament until the book of Psalm. We'll look at it a little bit later on. And that's it. That's it for Melchizedek. But it's this Melchizedek that becomes a forerunner or type of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that he says, and this, this is one of the things that's a little bit of a, I don't say controversy, but there's definitely different opinions on this. You'll notice that when the author of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek, king of Salem, by the way, all the Bible's you know, um, teachers and so on agree, that's Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, the city of peace, Salam, Shalom, uh, the, the Semitic word for peace, that he is the, the king of Jerusalem. And his name, as it says in, in, in this passage here, means, first of all, it means king of righteousness, Zedek. Zedek is the Hebrew for righteous. And also, Salem, it means peace. So he is the king of the, the righteous king of peace. You notice it says he doesn't have a father or mother, and he has no genealogy, and no beginning or end of days. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Well, this does raise some discussion, which we're not going to really try to solve this morning. Um, there are different opinions. You could do some of your own reading on this. There are some who believe that this king of this king of Salem, Melchizedek, who walks into Abraham's life and then walks out, that he is a um, that he is the Lord Jesus Christ in human form, who appears as a human, because it says he has no beginning or end, he has no genealogy, he has no history, there's no story about him. He's just there with no history, and he's gone with no history, and he remains a king forever because of that. So there are those who do teach that he is the Lord Jesus Christ in human form who appears just like in the Old Testament. You have the angel that wrestles with Jacob and it turns out it's God who actually wrestles with him, but he appeared in human form. 
On the other hand, there are those who believe that what the author is trying to point out here is he is a type of Christ. The fact that he has no genealogy. We have no record of him. We have no story about if he's so important, such an important person, why isn't there some record of you know who, where he's from, where he died, why does he just show up and he disappears? And there are those who believe that this is the, the New Testament, the author's way of, of saying what matters here is not his genealogy or his connection to the priesthood. What matters is that God has called him as a priest and that Abraham gave to him a tenth of all that he has. So after he introduces that, then he comes to verse 4. Watch this. He says, watch this now. After he talks about and reminds them of this king of Salem, he says, watch this now. Just think how great he was. Verse 4, even our father Abraham. Now you have to remember, as we talk to this epistle to the Jewish believers, how important Abraham is to them. We've talked about angels. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about Abraham. These three uh, key ingredients of, of things they were talking and teaching about. Remember the, the Jews said to Jesus Christ, how dare you? We are children of Abraham. We are children of Abraham. And Jesus says, you know what? God could raise eight children of Abraham up in these stones if he chose to. You are children of Abraham because God chose to call you. It was very important to them. Watch this, he says. Even the patriarch, Abraham, gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. He says, remember, under the Old Testament system, the priests who interceded, we talked about the priests on the Day of Atonement going in and offered the sacrifice for the sins of the people on Yom Kippur, the Day of Covering, the Day of Atonement. He went out on behalf of the people. He, he cleansed himself and offered sacrifice for himself. Then he went and offered sacrifice for the people. And it was essential. It was not optional. It was not something you did if you felt like it. It was essential. And he went in there, and he was, it was very important. And this priesthood was supported by the tithes and gifts of the people that they gave to sustain and support the priesthood. But he says, now, even though this is the, this is the case, and the law requires it, back in, in verse 5 here, the law requires the descendants of Levi who became priests to collect the tenth of people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, Melchizedek, he did not trace his descent from Levi. He was not of the Levitical priesthood. He was not of the family of Aaron. But he was a priest of the Most High God. We aren't told how that came about. We aren't told how that happened, what the connection was. He was a priest of Elohim, of, of, of El Shaddai, the, the highest God. He was the priest of the God of the, of the heavens. But he wasn't from Abraham. It wasn't from Levi. He did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him. Verse 7, without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Watch this, he says. Melchizedek is not from the order of Levi. He is not from the priesthood. He has no right to go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice. And yet he is a type of a living, enduring priesthood. And then verse 11, he takes the argument further. And he says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for it is the, on the basis of the law was given to people, 
Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. And friends, this is a very important point of the New Testament gospel, the New Testament story of why Jesus came to die. They had a system of sacrifice. They had a very elaborate system of sacrifice. And it, and it was one that, that God accepted and recognized. And their sins were forgiven. On the Day of Atonement, we looked at this last Sunday night, on the Day of Atonement, there were, there were two goats that were, brought, that were brought before God. One was one the priest took and slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice. The other one, the priest put his hands on the horns of it, and this goat's for Azazel, this goat. And he pronounced all the sins of the people of Israel upon that goat, that ram, and he sent it off into the wilderness. And it was taken out into the wilderness. And during the time of Jesus, we have record, there were ten stations on the way to the wilderness, and they would take him from station to station. And he'd go off a cliff and disappear. And he was gone. And then the word would come back, station to station to station, back to the temple. He is gone. We are for, it was a visual reminder that God not only covered their sins on the altar, but that God removed their sins and they were free from their sins and the obligation of them because of the sacrifices. It was a very elaborate, a very important system. But the author of the New Testament books, God, through these apostles, reminds them it was never intended to be the final chapter of forgiveness for sins. Because if it could have been, there would have been no reason for Jesus to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary. If that system was good enough, it was always intended to be temporary. It was always intended to be temporary and to look forward to the sacrifice of Christ. And that is the essential heart and soul of the gospel message, that Jesus Christ, which should have happened, those who were sacrificing. And then in the book of Acts, when the apostles came and preached, it should have been, now we get it. Now we understand why we've been doing this for all these years. Because the Lord Jesus Christ as we're going to read here, becomes the sacrifice. And so because of that, verse, let's, look at, let's just read through this. It's important to read this. Verse 12. For when there is a change of the priesthood, that doesn't mean one priest to the next, but when there is a change to the whole system, to the priesthood, when there is a change, when there is a change to the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served on the altar. That would be the tribe of Judah. The Lord Jesus Christ was from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah never provided a, a priest. That was the tribe of Levi. In fact, if anybody in, 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 intruded on that office of priest, they would be killed. They would be, they would be punished. No one just walked into the temple, Holy of Holies. It was, you didn't do that unless you were the high priest once a year. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. In regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest, like Melchizedek, who the priest of the Most High God, not from the tribe of Levi, with no beginning, no end in terms of genealogy, if he appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation, as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared from, you'll notice your footnote, from Psalm 110, talking about David from the tribe of Judah, the psalmist, says about David, you are a priest forever 
in the order of Melchizedek. David was not a priest from the tribe of Levi. But speaking of David and looking forward to the coming Messiah, the son of David, you are a priest forever in the order not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek. And the former is set aside because it was weak and useless. Verse 18, and a better hope is introduced. Now look what it says here. By which we draw near to God. The Old Testament. I don't know, some of you get uh, Tim Heath's prayer letters. I don't know if some of you got Tim Heath. I just happened to read his uh, this morning. And he closed his letter from the Things to Come Mission, some things going on. And he talked about how the high priest had those stones on his vest that represented the tribes of Israel. When the high priest went in to do his work and sacrifice, he had the stones on his vest that represented the 12 tribes. And the idea that these, these tribes were very close to his heart. And he went in as a human being, and he, and he walked into that Holy of Holies, and he, and he went in behind that curtain and went into the next where no one else could go once a year. And he stood there in front of the mercy seat, and he stood there in front of the presence of God, the very presence of God, the very Shekinah presence of God. And he stood there with the, with the tribes of Israel close to his heart to represent them as a go-between between them and God to bring that sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, a new priesthood, a new order, and he comes to represent those who are close to the heart of God, you and me. And these Jewish believers, to bring them. And he says, he came, he came before them, and they drew near to God. And then we come to the verse we looked at this morning, but really I want you to look at verse 23. As we, we've started at the end and worked backwards, we come to the end now. Now there, now there have been many of the priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is always, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I went back to my Bible on this particular chapter and I underlined, because here's the key, here's what he's getting at. I underlined all the words that have to do with forever. This is the important thing here. And we've talked about how we in our church do believe in eternal security, that once you are saved, you are always saved. When God makes a new creation, he doesn't make an old creation. and make a new creation, an old creation. Um, we teach this in our church. And I believe this applies to these people as well. Once they were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they were saved. And I want you to notice what, what he says here. I underlined them. Uh, into verse 3. He remains a priest forever. The end of verse 8. He's declared to be living, living still. At the end of verse 16. The power of an indestructible life. Indestructible means it goes forever. Verse 17. You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. End of verse 21. You are a priest forever. Verse 23. Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Verse 25. He always lives 
forever. He always lives to intercede for them. And in the very end of this chapter, the very last verse of chapter 7, he has been made perfect forever. You see that? That the theme, the message in this chapter is the foreverness of the Lord Jesus Christ's work on behalf of those who come to him through faith. And that is why he says in the verse we started out with in verse 25, Therefore he is able to save, save completely. It, doesn't, it has not just the idea of, of fulfillment, but also of forever. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved us forever. Those who come to God through him. Why? Why is this true? Because he always is living and he lives today Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ lives today to intercede for us, for them. Those saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who intercedes. And because he is the high priest who does not die and need to be replaced by the next high priest, the old order came to an end and the new order in the order of Melchizedek the ongoing, living, permanent priest of God who intercedes for those covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Practical application for you and me today, friends. We've come today and we've worshipped. We've sung the Lord's praises. We sang that song, thank you for teaching us that song from Revelation chapter 19, as, as chapter 19 prepares for the initiation of the Messianic kingdom. And the, and the, angel, and the voice is lifting, lifting up to God to praise his name. We've gathered today, friends, as those who have been saved, along with, I believe, these who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, these Hebrew believers, we have been saved forever. We've been saved forever. Having these young people here, it's, uh, besides being great, Having you guys here with us and uh, seeing that menagerie of stuff out there in the gym and Michael's bed. You got to see Michael's bed. It looks like a throne out there. He's got a, he hasn't got an air mattress. He has a blow up bed. Okay. So it looks pretty nice. Um, and, uh, but seeing all you guys here and all your stuff and knowing what you're doing, um, you know, I, I, I'm reminded, I remember when, it, I remember when I was in junior high, a little younger than you guys. And I remember, I remember I told our, our Bible instruction classes. I can remember a time in my life we used to meet downstairs in the room right below my office called the Junior High Crusaders. That was our name, Junior High Crusaders. Probably wouldn't go by that name today. But anyway, that's what we did, okay? And, um, but I can remember a, a time in my life, maybe a six-week time or something, where every Sunday night, every Sunday night at, I think it was 6 o'clock, service was at 7 and I can remember going through a phase where every Sunday night I would, I would ask the Lord to, to, to make sure I was saved. And I knew I was saved. And the church taught that. And I was taught well. And I knew that. But, you know, a lot of times we go through these periods in our life where we do look at that and say, yeah, but, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And, I, and, I, and uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to make sure. Just going to make sure. And part of our job as teachers and pastors, as we bring God's word to you, is to remind you today that, and I'll work through that, obviously, 
work through that, is to remind you today that if you have received Christ as your Savior, you are saved completely. Completely. God is never going to love you any more than he loves you today. There's nothing that you or I can do to somehow make God love me any more today or tomorrow. Any more than my children make me love them any more or any less, or my grandchildren or your children. You love them because they're your children. Valentine's Day. I love my wife. It's Valentine's Day. I don't love her more on Valentine's Day because, because we're married. We've made that commitment to each other. You know, we express it. We talk about it. Um, but we, our, our love is not based on our works. And friends, it's a, it's a good thing to know today. And I just want you to know, and I just want to remind you, as I've read through this passage, and it's a pretty simple message. It's a little complicated with Melchizedek, but it's a pretty simple message. And that is, God is able, through Jesus Christ, to save forever anyone who has come to God through Him. If you have come to God through Christ, if you're coming through anything else, it's not going to work. But if you have come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on the cross of Calvary, and it was after the resurrection that he was declared to be this priest in the order of Melchizedek. If you have come to God through Jesus Christ, at least take this word home with you today. Forever. 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 And completely. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. And I'll just be close to this verse. The next verse says this, verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. Some would think our need is wealth, perfect health, power, money, status. That's not our needs. Those things are nice. You know, if God gives them in the right perspective and so on. But that's not what I need. I don't need any of those things. What I need, what Jim Shamaria needed when he was in third grade and received Christ as Savior, and needed to be reminded of when he was in junior high, and has needed what I've needed, what my need is, is it says here, this Lord Jesus Christ was holy, blameless, pure, Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's what I needed. I needed a sacrifice that would take my place. And only a human could take my place. But I needed a sacrifice that was holy and pure. And only God is intrinsically holy and pure. Hence, the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to earth, born as a baby, lived the perfect life without sin, went to the cross of Calvary and suffered that humiliating, horrendous, unspeakable pain of carrying my sin and yours on his own soul on the cross of Calvary. That's what I needed. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ, for whatever reason, has chosen to give to me. And I don't deserve it any more than you do. 
that if you are here today, friends, and your faith has been placed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, at least remember this. It's forever. It's forever. But if you haven't done that, if you have not done that, then also remember, separation from God, hell, is forever. Is there a reason why? Is there any reason why you would not accept God's love for you and receive Christ's sacrifice for your sins? It's between you and God. Not between us, the church, or anybody else. It's between you and God. And it's the heart and soul. It's what's essential of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you. You are a sinner. Christ died and paid for your sin. And you can receive salvation forever by receiving it from God and acknowledging your need for his salvation. We're going to close our service with the song. What are we going to sing, Gary? Blessed Assurance. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for coming today and sharing in our service. God bless you guys. Have a good, have a good week and a safe trip home. Good weekend. And uh, let's close the service in prayer. Father, we have just sung that uh, we are lost in your love. The Lord Jesus Christ, our, our wonderful Lord, when he was on earth, talked about being lost and being found. And for those of us today, Lord, who have received Christ as our Savior, not to any merit of our own, but because of your love and grace, we have been found. But we have been found to be lost. What a great place to be this week, lost in your love on this Valentine's Day. Lost in your love. And Lord, if there be a person here today who is lost outside of your love, what a great day to in humbleness simply acknowledge that they are a sinner. That you died for them because you love them. And you've provided eternal life if they would only acknowledge and receive Christ as their Savior. And I pray, Lord, you would open their heart to the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news that God loves each one of us. We leave today lost in his love. We worship a God of new beginnings. You are a God of new beginnings. We begin a new week, this first day of the week, Lord, to walk with you, to serve you, to love you, and to be lost in your love once again, brand new. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name.